You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. We are tired. Uh, We had an incredible week this week. Our staff and elders uh, went to Journey, made the long, uh, boring, uh, but beautiful sometimes drive to Lubbock, Texas. Uh, this week for our first annual Redeemer Conference, and it was an incredible time. If you don't know, we are part of a network of churches. We actually have a a leadership role in our Redeemer network of churches. Um, It's about 25 churches, mostly across Texas. We have church in Arizona, a couple churches in New Mexico, but uh, we're part of a network of churches called the Redeemer Network, where we're working together to multiply and catalyze healthy churches through church planning and church revitalization across our state. And so we gathered with leadership teams and church staffs from all 25 of our 25 plus of our churches. And we had an incredible week to worship, to celebrate all that God is doing. Um, we got to learn together and it was a great time. Got back late on Thursday and uh, realized I had to start thinking about this sermon uh, after leading a bunch of breakouts and sessions at that conference. And then also my kids decided to get sick this weekend. So um, so pray for me as um, I'm jumping into this today. I have not had enough coffee yet, uh, this, this early service. I'm feeling it this morning. But I am so glad that you are here, and I'm excited about this text. If you're not already open to 1 Corinthians 12, would you get there? Meet me there. As we continue our study of Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, we find in chapter 12, Paul turning his attention to a new issue, or to keep with our metaphor, a new room in the Corinthian church that needs renovation. Um, This time, it seems that the Apostle Paul is responding to a specific question that has come from the Corinthians. Paul is in Ephesus at this point. He's establishing the church in Ephesus. And uh, Chloe, Chloe or Chloe's people brings to Paul word about the church in Corinth. And that word means that there are some things that are not great that are happening that you need to know about Paul, as we've seen, as we've studied the letter. And then there are some questions that the church has for you. And it seems that one of those questions that they're wanting more instruction from the Apostle Paul on is the issue of spiritual gifts. You see, what was going on in Corinth is that there were some prominent people in the church who, who began to elevate certain gifts in the, in the body or certain roles in the church above others. They began to look at these specific gifts or these specific roles as the more spiritual gifts, the more spiritual roles than other people. And this was creating problems in the church. It was creating, uh, making the fractures of division wider. It was creating problems when the church would gather together like we are today to worship. They're elevating specific gifts over others. It was creating disorder and dysfunction in their gathering. We'll look more about that in chapter 14 where Paul addresses the specifics of how to use these gifts in a particular way that doesn't create disorder, but to use the gifts in a way that build up and don't distract from Christ, who is the object of our worship. But before Paul does this, before he gives some specific instruction around spiritual gifts, what he does in our text today is he actually takes the opportunity to go back to the basics. He gives a lesson in our text today on spiritual gifts 101. And you see, that's what good leaders do, right? Anytime that we find ourselves in a space of confusion, Good leaders will always zoom out and help us not to miss the forest for the trees. They'll help us go back to the basics and remember first principles. And that's what Paul is doing in our text today. He's giving us first principles. And listen, 
We need this text, don't we? I mean, we live in a time and in a place where much like the church in Corinth, we too are a bit confused around spiritual gifts. Can I get a witness? Anybody else in here? Amen. Thank you. Okay. There is a lot of confusion and even division and distraction in the church today as it relates to spiritual gifts. If you've been a Christian for any measure of time, you've experienced it, haven't you? Remember when I was in college and I got invited by another friend of mine who I met on campus and found out that they too were a Christian and they invited me to come to this night of worship. And growing up as a good Southern Baptist boy, a night of worship to me sounded like a hymn sing. And I showed up to this night of worship and I had no idea what was going on in the room. There was this manifestation and this use of certain spiritual gifts that to me was confusing and it was distracting and it didn't feel anything like Christian worship that I had experienced. And I imagine that if that friend came, to me, came with me to a good old Baptist hymn sing, he would probably look around and go, what in the world is this? Is this worship? You see, we, you've experienced this. If you've been a Christian for any measure of time, you've experienced the two errors that it seems that we continually find ourselves in in the church. And the first is to overemphasize spiritual gifts, to make everything about spiritual gifts, or to pursue sp- specific gifts and, and, and make all of the Christian life and the church's gathered worship about performing gifts, overemphasizing spiritual gifts. It's one error that the church in Corinth is certainly making. But there's a different error as well, isn't there? There's the other error, which is to underemphasize spiritual gifts or to neglect spiritual gifts, to treat the Holy Spirit like the Holy Spirit is the drunk uncle of the Trinity. You know, like you don't want him showing up when the family gets together because when he shows up, things get weird. And so let's just not talk about the Holy Spirit. Let's not pray about gifts of the Spirit. Let's not talk about, because if we do, then maybe things are going to get a bit weird or chaotic. And so that's the other error, to underemphasize gifts. Listen, we need this text because we need to rightly understand spiritual gifts. And I want to be clear with you from the beginning. I want you to know this. We are a church, this church, Redeemer Church, we desire to be a charismatic church. And what I mean by that is we desire to be a church that is full of the gifts of grace that God gives to his people by his spirit. We desire to be a church that is full of spiritual blessings in every way. And what I mean by that is if we're going to be a healthy church that is receiving the gifts of the Spirit, we need to make sure that we understand who the Holy Spirit is, and we need to be rightly informed about gifts of the Spirit. We cannot rightly value the gifts of the Spirit and use the gifts of the Spirit and seek the gifts of the Spirit unless we are rightly informed about the gifts of the Spirit. And that's exactly what Paul sets out to do in this text, to inform us about the gifts. And so if you're taking notes this morning, I have two steps for us. If we're going to be a church that is full of the Spirit's grace and gifts, there are two steps that we need to take. And then there are going to be two obstacles or two warnings that we need to be aware of. So let me pray, and then we'll get back into the text. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we come to you now and we thank you for this space that you have carved out for us this morning to be together as your church, to gather around your word, to recite and proclaim the good news of your glorious grace to us in Jesus Christ, your son. And we thank you for this text that we come across, this this word from you that is inspired, that it is given to us, that is beneficial to us, teaching us and training us in righteousness, equipping us for every good work to be your 
people in this time and in this place. And so we pray now, Father, that as we come to this text, that you would speak to us, that you would, we would hear your voice, that you would be our guide and our instructor, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, you would convict us where we need to be turned around, that you would reshape and reform our thinking where we have gotten sideways and worldly. Would you move in this place as we open your word? We simply say to you, God, we want you here in this space. We invite you in. Be our teacher, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So step one, two steps, two warnings. Step one, Paul says, the first thing that we need to do if we're going to be a church that is full of the Spirit and full of the gifts of the Spirit, using the gifts that the Spirit gives, is that we need to get informed We need to get the right information about spiritual gifts. Look what he says in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, really what he's saying here, it's a different word. He will use the word that gets translated as gifts throughout this passage, but it's a little bit different in verse 1. He's saying about spiritual things, about things of the Spirit. Concerning things of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be uninformed. He's going to go on in verse 2 and 3, and he's going to say, Like you used to be pagans and there were like spiritual realities that kind of filled your pagan life. But now you're Christians and there's a new spiritual reality that fuels your Christian life. It's the person and work of the Holy Spirit. He says, anyone who says that Jesus is Lord, anyone who confesses Christ has the spirit. This is what we believe. The Bible teaches this, that if you have confessed Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, if you've repented and and, and trusted Christ by faith, that the Spirit indwells you. The Spirit of God indwells you. In fact, the Bible is clear that the Spirit was already even working in you, causing you to see Jesus as beautiful, causing, drawing you toward Christ. So if you have confessed Christ as Lord, if you've trusted Him by faith, the Spirit is within you, that the Spirit indwells us. And what is it that the Holy Spirit is given to us to do? To make us more like our Lord Jesus, to, to lead us and guide us into the new life of Christ, the new and eternal life that comes with knowing Christ. The Spirit is given to us to give us new desires, to give us a new purpose, to give us new power. And part of that is that he gives us spiritual gifts. And this can mean that the Holy Spirit uh, awakens and redeems gifts and skills that you already have that were given to you as a gift of common grace, and the Spirit awakens those and shows you now how to use those for His purpose and for His glory, or it could look like the Spirit giving you new gifts and new wisdom, new skills in order to build up His church and make the gospel known. And so Paul says in verse 1, you think you know about spiritual gifts, but you have no idea. He says you're uninformed. Based on how you're using spiritual gifts, or how you're not using spiritual gifts, tells me a lot about how you don't understand spiritual gifts at all. And so he's going to go on in verse 4. He's saying, he's basically saying, if you're going to be a church that's truly spiritual, like you think you're spiritual, Corinthians, but if you're going to truly be spiritual, if you're really going to be full of the Spirit's presence, vivid uh, in the Spirit's grace, then you need to get this right. Look at verse 4. So he's going to inform us. Spiritual gifts 101. There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given 
the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. If you are a Bible underliner, I encourage you to underline verse 7. It is really the key point that Paul is making. To each person, to every Christian, is given an endowment or a bestowment of the Spirit of God. This is powerful. This is significant. To each person is given a manifestation, an endowment, a unique gift of the Holy Spirit. For what? For the common good. What does that mean? It means for the good of others. It can mean for the building up of the church, or it can mean for the witness of Christ in the world. To each person that calls Jesus Lord, you've been given a manifestation, a unique gift of the Spirit for the common good. Each person in this room, if you're a Christian this morning, you've been given something by the Holy Spirit to be used in blessing the church, this church, or proclaiming Christ in the world. And I want you to notice what Paul highlights. Three different ways. He says the same thing three different ways. That there's a diversity of gifts that are all given by the same God for the same purpose. He says there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. A variety of gifts. He says there's varieties of service. That word can mean ministries. Different ways to sacrifice. Different opportunities to sacrifice and serve. A varieties of service that are given, but the same God, who, but the same Lord. And then he says, and there's varieties of activities. That word means work. There's all kinds of work that the church needs to do to be the hands and feet of Christ. There's varieties of work, varieties of opportunities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone to each given for the common good. We're going to see this in chapter 14, but the Corinthian church in particular um, had become obsessed with what I will call the extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit, or what scholars, some scholars will call supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Corinthian church had become obsessed with these, specifically uh, the gifts that involved speaking or impressive speech. We talked about this early in the series. You might remember this, but that this was a value in Corinthian culture, the ability to speak well and to publicly uh, debate um, and, um, and share philosophy and ideas. This was a value in, in first century Corinth. And so the, the church in Corinth had become obsessed with these particular speech gifts as the Holy Spirit was giving words of wisdom and new power to speak and to be impressive with speech. They started to get obsessed with these things, these extraordinary manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit. You could think of these particular gifts this way. It's, um, it's moments in time, particular moments in time, where the Spirit's presence and the Spirit's power shows up in a particular moment, almost as if God's word, God's voice, or God's physical hand is breaking into the ordinary. These particular moments, these particular gifts. And there are things like, for the Corinthian church, there were things like prophecy, things like tongues, things like interpretation, that when the church gathered together, they just were over-focused. They were, they were um, obsessed with these particular gifts. But Paul's going to, uh, in this text, going to share other types of extraordinary gifts. He says that there are some times where the Spirit will give other gifts like healing and miracles, where God's hand or God's word breaks into the ordinary in a particular moment of time, and he gives a gift. He either gives a gift to a person or gives a gift through a person in a particular time. And I want you to know this, by the way, that we believe that these kinds of gifts are still active in the world today. 
I, I believe that. We believe that here at Redeemer, that these types of um, extraordinary uh, gifts of the Spirit are still in operation, that they're still at, at work in the world today. And here's my personal opinion on these kinds of things. My personal opinion is that we see more of these kinds of extraordinary gifts in places where the gospel is breaking new ground. You hear me? Like, for example, that's why they're all over the book of Acts. Healings and miracles, tongues, words of wisdom. Because the gospel is breaking new ground in new terrain where the, the message of the gospel is being legitimized by the extraordinary power of God as the word of God is being proclaimed. Are you with me? Do you hear me? And I think that's my personal opinion. I think that's why we hear stories, and I've even seen with my own eyes, evidences of these kinds of gifts of the Spirit in places like, un, like unre, among unreached people groups, places where they don't have a Bible, and they don't have a local church and missionaries or local people that have gotten saved through dreams or whatever it might be or proclaiming the word of Christ. And there are these extraordinary gifts of the spirit that are legitimizing and confirming this power of God breaking in. But because it is our tendency to become obsessed with these kinds of gifts of the spirit, to overemphasize these kinds of gifts of the spirit, we need to pay attention to what Paul is saying in verse 4 through 7. He zooms out for us. He gives us the first principle in Spiritual Gifts 101 to a church that has become obsessed and distracted with the manifestation gifts of the Spirit. He says in verse 4 through 17, here's what he's saying. A truly spiritual church is informed about the variety of gifts, the, the variety of activities, the variety of services in the church, not just the supernatural gifts. A healthy church, a truly spiritual church, is informed about the variety of gifts and values them all equally. In other words, when Miss Barbara, most of you know Miss Barbara, um, I almost told her that I was going to talk about her today when I saw her this morning, um, but I didn't because I knew she wouldn't let me if I did. But I need to. I need to talk about her, so I didn't. Uh, when Miss Barbara serves this church every single Sunday morning, like she was doing this morning, doing the things that nobody else remembers or knows needs to be done so that we can have a baptism after the second service, or when she serves this church like she does every single Sunday afternoon, coming through this space, picking up all the trash that we've left behind and straightening up all of these rows and praying over all of you the whole time that she's doing it. When Miss Barbara is using that gift of service, cleaning this space and caring for this space, that gift of service is as valuable as any gift that is used on this stage. That, that gift of service is as valuable to this body as any gift of healing that God might give to some other people or place. That's the point Paul is making. A healthy church that is vibrant in the spirit values all of the gifts and values them equally. It glorifies God what she does every week. It blesses the church. Is it less visible? Certainly. You didn't know about it until I just told you. But does God see it? You better believe it. And it glorifies it. And it strengthens this church. And it builds up this church. Just as much as what I'm doing or what you might do week in, week out. That's, this is the first lesson that Paul says. If we're going to be a church that's, that's truly spiritual, this is the first lesson. Look at what he says next. He's going to go on in verse 8 through 11, and he's going to 
prove this point by kind of giving a sampling of gifts that would have been common or talked about in the Corinthian church. And he wants us to see both the extraordinary gifts and the ordinary gifts, valuing them both. Look what he says, verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit utterances of wisdom. That is, simply means wise speech. Uh, I've chatted with many of you in the lobby. I chat with many of you throughout the week. And you don't know how many times I'm talking to people and there's wise speech <laughs> that's, that's given even to me, that's building me up, that's encouraging me. An ordinary gift given through the Spirit, words of wisdom. And to another, words of knowledge according to the same spirit, and to another faith by the same spirit. Ordinary gifts. Some of you have the gift of faith. Like you will do things because Jesus tells you to do it, and you will by faith obey him. And those of us who don't have the gift of faith will go like, I don't know about that. (laughs) I'm not so sure that I would be able to do that. It's because you have the gift of faith. I think about the Bowers family when God gifted them with a gift of faith three years ago to step out of faith, to walk away from 17 years in a career, a different career, to obey the calling to come to Round Rock to serve the church and to help us uh, pastor here and plant more churches. The gift of faith to step out and obey. Verse 9, verse 10. I'm sorry, verse 9. To another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by one spirit, by the one spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, discernment between good and evil, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. And so he's giving this sampling of ordinary gifts, extraordinary gifts. But look what he says in verse 11. And all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each individually, how? as he wills, according to his will. I like what one scholar says on verse 11. He puts it plain. He says, the gifts are given out one by one by the same spirit. It makes me think about when I was in middle school and I was playing middle school football for the first time and I had a particular number jersey that I wanted. I wanted to be number seven. And we all lined up to, to get our jerseys before the first week of football. And Coach Elliott was standing there looking like he would rather be doing anything else in the world than coaching middle school football. And he was standing there and he was just giving numbers, just giving them out. It wasn't really about what you wanted. <laughs> it's like, next, number 12. Next, 64. I'm like, what? A quarterback, number 64. And he's just giving out jerseys. And the, the Spirit of God cares about us much more than Coach Elliott cared about me as a seventh grade football player. But this is the point. He's, the Spirit decides. It's according to his will. He gives gifts according to his purposes. You, I, I love this author. He says, the gifts are given out one by one by the same Spirit, and he decides who gets what and when. And this leads us to the second principle if we're going to be informed about spiritual gifts. A truly spiritual person realizes that gifts are given by grace according to God's will for God's glory. A truly spiritual person realizes that gifts are given by grace according to God's will for God's glory. And this ought to humble us. This ought to humble us to see if you've been given particular gifts, that they are not earned. You didn't do anything to accrue God's favor in order to be given a particular gift. This also ought to give us some joy and some unction to know that I've been given a particular gift and I ought to use it. 
how to use it because God's given it to me. We'll talk about that more in a minute. I want you to see this again from another text. Flip over to Romans chapter 12. If you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 12. I want you to look at Romans 12, verses 4 through 8. In Romans, Paul is teaching this same exact um, kind of a basic spiritual gift 101 lesson to a different church, to the church in Rome. And the church is in Rome. And here's what he says there. He's saying the same thing, but in a different way. Verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, the many members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Having gifts that differ according to God's varied grace. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts or encourages in his exhortation, the one who contributes, the one who gives in his gener- in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Do you see this again? It's this, Paul saying the same thing, but in a different way. It's, it's a, he gives a different sampling of gifts this time than he does to the Corinthian church. And so he's, he's not, this is not an exhaustive list of all the gifts. It's the principle that matters. There are many different gifts that are given to the whole body, given uniquely according to God's grace, not of our earning or of our accruing, uh, but given according to his will to be used to build up the body and to display Christ in the world. I want you to think about that for a second. This might surprise you, um, but I do own a few suits and, um, and I wear them occasionally. Um, I remember the first suit that I had to go buy. I was officiating a wedding for some students many years ago who were in a college ministry that I led. And I didn't have a suit, so I had to go buy a suit. And I didn't have a lot of money, and so I went to J.C. Penney. I don't know if that place is even still around. I don't know if it still exists. It might be like Circuit City and be dead. But uh, I went to J.C. Penney um, because they had cheap suits. And I was going through the rack, and I just like kind of found the suit, you know, the, whatever the number was, the regular suit that fit me. And I bought it, and I was so proud of it, and I wore it. But, man, it was just like baggy and droopy everywhere. It didn't really fit me very well. And then, fast forward, uh, you know, I got a little more established and thought I should probably go buy a real suit. And so I went and bought a suit and had it tailored. And let me tell you the difference between my JCPenney suit and my tailored suit. Like, I'm at a wedding in my tailored suit, and I can touch my toes, and everything feels right. Everything feels good. You know, it's made for me. Nobody else can wear this suit but me, custom-made suit. And what the scripture are telling us is that the Holy Spirit, in God's kindness, in God's great love for you, not only has he sought to save you because he's loved you, not only has he given grace to you that is redeeming your life out of sin, out of sin and death, out of the bondage of sin and death, and into the new life of Jesus Christ, but he has given more grace to you, even more grace, where he has custom-fit particular skills and gifts that he's given just to you for what? for this church. Do you understand that? Do you see that's what he's saying? And he's saying, use them. Use your gifts. Know your gifts and use your gifts. In fact, please hear me. I believe that there is not one missing link in this body. Don't mishear me. I'm not saying that we don't have needs. We have needs in this church. But I believe there's not one missing link in this church. 
I believe that God gifts the church with everything that it needs to be faithful to his call. Every single local church that God gives the gifts or God will give gifts that we need. I don't want you to make the mistake of thinking that only the church leaders have gifts to use. This is not a New Testament picture of the church. Leaders in the church might have more calling to responsibility. Leaders in the church might have, um, uh, have more visible gifts. But it's not just the leaders in the church who have been given grace and gifts. It's all of us, every single one of us. And so Paul says, this is step one. If we're going to be a church that's full of the life and the grace and the, and the, the, the visibility of the new life in Christ, full of the Spirit, that step one is that we must get informed. And so let me just recap what he's told us. First, that gifts are of grace. Gifts are of grace, not of works. Second, he's told us that gifts come in a variety. We need all sorts of people using all sorts of gifts to be the body of Christ. He's going to go on in chapter 12, and he's going to use, create a metaphor, which is the most common metaphor that Christians use to talk about the church. He's going to say, we're one body with many parts, and there are no lesser parts of value. We ought not complain about what part we are, but see it as a gift of grace given to us to play a particular role to build up the body in a particular time. Next, he tells us that gifts are to be used. So we're not just given gifts to kind of sit on them, but we're given gifts to be used for the good of other people. We're not given gifts for the sake of our own self to build up ourselves or to promote ourselves, but we're giving gifts for the sake of others. He's telling us that gifts are what color and express Christ in our city. That the more gifts that are activated in this body, the more vivid Christ will be as we follow him and serve him together as a local church. And finally, he's going to tell us in chapter 14, we'll get there in two weeks, but he's going to tell us that all gifts should be valued. All gifts should be sought after. He's going to say, uh, he's going to say desire gifts in chapter 14, verse 12. Desire, the man desire manifestation of the Spirit, Paul says in chapter 14, verse 12. But then he says, for the sake of building up. Want more of the Holy Spirit. Want more gifts of the Holy Spirit. Seek the Spirit. Be dependent upon the Spirit. In the same way that Jesus was dependent upon the Spirit in all of his life and all of his ministry, so we ought to be as his body. But the whole purpose in desiring gifts and using our gifts is the building up of the church. So we must get informed about the gifts. And then this leads us to step two. Once we're informed about the gifts, we must activate our gifts. Gifts must be activated. I want you to hear me say this clearly as one of your pastors. We want to see all of you using your gifts. We want to see all of you using your gifts. We want to walk with you and help you discern how to use your gifts. We want to help you understand what role in the body you are to play here in this church. That's our job as elders. Ephesians chapter 4 says that God's given leaders to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We, church is not a spectator sport, in other words. We want to see you activated in your gifts and using your gifts and finding your role. And so that's part of what we want to do. In fact, Paul's going to go on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 12 through 31, to say that we all have different roles to play and that we're all uniquely gifted to play our God-determined role. Don't miss that. Our God-determined role. He's going to use the metaphor of a body. He's going to say we're a body with many parts, that every gift is given 
in the church. It ought to be activated so that the body can be all that it is called to be. And that's step two. And what I want to do is for the sake of, of brevity, um, rather than walking through all that Paul says in, in 12 through 31, I want to look at a different text. Flip over with me in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 4. In 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to see very similar instruction. Peter's just going to say it a lot more concisely uh, than Paul would say it. Chapter, 1 Peter chapter 4, look at what he says starting uh, down in verse 10. He says, as each has received a gift, what do we do with it? Use it. Use it for what? To serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Using our gifts to serve one another and to steward what God has given us, the very grace that God gives. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Again, we see it again, don't we, in a different text. Every person having the Holy Spirit within them, being given a gift, we see that the point of our spiritual gifts is not our own personal spiritual experiences, but the point of spiritual gifts is for the sake of others, to be used to serve one another, to point to Jesus and to his gospel. Peter says that we are stewards of God's very grace. It's a different metaphor that Peter gives. Stewards in the first century world were people who would take care of a rich person's estate while they were gone. And so he says, you are a steward of the varied riches that belong to the God of all riches. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 is going to use a different metaphor, the metaphor of the body. One body, many parts, Christ is the head. We're all working together, but it's the same idea. We are to use our gifts. I want to ask you to reflect for a moment. Do you know your gifts? I bet some of you do, but I bet there's a lot of you that don't. I bet there's a lot of you that are like, well, maybe. I'm not sure, actually. I, I don't know if I've ever been trained or equipped to know my gifts. If you do know your gifts, are you stewarding your gifts? Are you stewarding them joyfully? Are you using your gifts actively? Are you activated in your gifts to build up the body or to make Christ known in the world? I want to encourage you this week as you gather with your gospel community and, um, and there's some discussion and follow-up on this to talk about this, to talk about your gifts. In the discussion guide this week, I'm going to put a link to a spiritual gift inventory test. Now listen, before you start sending me emails, it's not perfect. Um, this inventory thing that I'm going to send you, it's not perfect, but it's helpful. It, it will at least start a conversation that we can begin to have in community about what our gifts might be. And then I want to encourage you even to affirm one another's gifts. This, listen, this is the way that gifts get activated. It's not necessarily through an inventory. Those can get the conversation started, but it's through someone affirming your gifts. A, an older brother or sister in the faith affirming you in your gifts. A leader in the church affirming you in, in your gifts, giving you opportunities to use your gifts. And so I want to encourage you to do that this week, to talk about our gifts and what it might look like to activate our gifts and to walk more fully in them. Okay, step one, get informed. Step two, know your gifts, activate your gifts. And then there are two obstacles as we close this morning. I just want us to be mindful. Two obstacles in light of today's teachings, two things that will 
grieve the Holy Spirit's presence and power among us for not careful. What are they? The first is pride. The Bible is clear that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. Um, there are two ways in which pride could cause us to shrink the power of the Spirit among us, to grieve the presence of the Spirit among us. The first is by making our gifts about us, making church about us, treating the church like it is a playground for our own performance. I have conversations like this before with people where they'll say things like, well, my gift is this, pastor, and so you have to, you know, kind of create a way for me to use my gift in the church. I remember when I first started feeling called to teaching and preaching, I shared that with the pastor in my life at the time. And in the back of my mind, I was kind of thinking, hey, I think I'm called to teach and preach. And like, I listen to sermons all the time. And I always read the Bible and think about how I would want to preach it or teach it. And he was like, oh, that's great. And I remember kind of thinking, all right, maybe he's going to you know, find a Sunday to schedule me. And you know what he said to me? He said, there are 20 FCAs across this city with FCA directors that are looking for a speaker every week. Go find one. Go find one. Activate your gifts. Practice your gifts. Let your gifts be seen and approved and affirmed by others who are in mature, mature in the church. Don't just expect the church to be a space where you get to show off your gifts. This is a form of pride. There's another form of pride, though, that I think is most important and most prevalent for us. And it's hiding our need. It's holding back our need, holding back our struggles, holding back our weakness. What do I mean? Do you know one of the primary things that activates the gifts of others in the body of Christ? Need. Your need. In fact, I wonder if there are some of us who have been gifted need by God right now. We're in a season of struggle. We're in a season of weakness. And the longer that we, in pride, hold that back, and keep our need from our brothers and sisters in Christ, the more that we are suffocating their ability to use, the, to use their gifts to build up the church. In fact, I experienced this this week. I had a long week. I had an exhausting week leading a conference for 250 other leaders. And then I had to preach a sermon today. I was exhausted. I got home and my kids were sick. Um, I wasn't feeling good. You know how it is when your kids are sick and then you think you're sick? I spent about 18 hours thinking I was sick, and I went to the doctor and got all the tests that they have. I wasn't sick. I just thought I was sick. I called a friend yesterday, and I shared my weakness, and I shared my need. And I said, I, I got to preach Sunday. I don't even really want to preach. What should I do? And guess what? Sharing my need, sharing my weakness, created an opportunity for my brother in Christ to use his gifts. It activated my weakness, activated his strength his gifts. And he spoke a word over me. He prayed a powerful prayer over me. And in that, that moment, I'm not kidding, I got off the phone, I hung up the phone, and I felt spiritual energy in my bones given to me by God. The Spirit flooded me. I needed that prayer again this morning, if I'm honest with you. But I felt it in the moment. My need activated the gifts of another. And so I just want to encourage us not to let pride, holding back our weakness, holding back our struggles, holding back our needs, whether they're spiritual or tangible needs, keep us from being a church that's full of the gifts of the Spirit. Second obstacle, shame and guilt. Shame and guilt. The enemy would love to do nothing more than to mute the custom-fit gifts that the Spirit of God has given to you by causing you to believe the lie that you are too unworthy or too unlovely because you are a sinner or because of your past 
to use your gifts in any meaningful way. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Please do not allow your past struggles or your present doubts to keep you from using your gifts. In fact, hear me, hear the gospel this morning. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, God has not only forgiven you completely, but he's made you a new creation. He sealed you with the spirit and he's poured out gifts upon you for you to use them to point to his magnificent grace. God would use sinners like us to do redemptive things in the world. Wow, what a savior. I want you to know something. You are right. You are unworthy to have gifts. You are unworthy to use your gifts. And that is the whole point, that God might get the glory of unimpressive, ordinary, unworthy people doing extraordinary things for the glory of God. Redeemer, let's be informed about the gifts. Let's use our gifts. Let's steward our gifts. The whole point of spiritual gifts is that God wants to work through us. What an incredible thought to extend his grace and his truth to the world. God, through the Holy Spirit, gifting us with gifts, gifting us with grace, giving to us his presence to be his body and to grow in his grace. As we close, I want to pray over us that God might awaken us to the spiritual realities that are available to us. Let me pray. God, we thank you for this text this morning. We thank you that your word is made, uh, that your strength is made visible and powerful to us in, in our weakness. We thank you that your word is living and that it's active. We thank you for your scriptures. And I pray simply this morning that you would awaken us in this room, in this congregation, to the variety of gifts that you have bestowed upon us. We ask that you would help us to use our gifts to know our gifts, to share our gifts that you've given, to build up others, and to witness to your grace in this world. We pray that you would give us more gifts. We want to be a church that is full of your Spirit's presence, the Spirit of God that makes much of Christ to the glory of the Father. That's what we want to be, a people that are full of your Spirit, making much of Christ to the glory of the Father. As we enter into a time of response, I pray that you would minister to us and that you would use us to minister to one another as we take the sacraments, as we worship, as we give, as we pray. We invite you into our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.